Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, we are going to have a conversation. Why I invited Apostle Emma, Pastor Modesta here to explain and help us understand the difference between wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Why? Because not many people are able to differentiate those three things. To some or many, these three words mean the same. But yet, when you go into scripture and clearly understand what wisdom is, what understanding is, and what knowledge is, it will change the way you see God. It will change the way you relate with God. The Bible says it's the God of knowledge. You know, the Bible says he is the God in whom all wisdom and knowledge is. So he's a God of wisdom. He's a God of knowledge. He's a God of understanding. You cannot know God without wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. I think, let me ask a little question here. I want to begin with this woman of God. When it comes to wisdom, understanding, knowledge, what do you see? What do you feel? What comes to your spirit? Uh, When we talk about wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, I usually, at such a particular time, I'm taken back to where Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. And he, with the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he's saying very beautiful things about the church. He's telling them that, you know, you do not come behind in any gift. He's talking about how the testimony of Christ has been firmly established in them. He's talking about the realm of knowledge where they literally have been established in it. But then he goes to chapter 3, and with the beginning of chapter 3, he's calling them babes. So kind of that one took me aback. Because I was like, wait a minute, man of God, you said these people carry a particular kind of knowledge. They do not come behind in any gift. It meant if there was anything called gifting in the spiritual realm, they didn't come behind any of it. You're saying when you look at them, they are firmly established in the testimony of Christ himself. But you come to chapter 3, you're saying, I want to speak unto you not as spiritual, but carnal, not as mature, but as babes in Christ. Because you've refused to grow. Yes, sir. Yes. So that one gave me a certain place of comparison to understand that by the mere fact that someone seems to carry those things that Paul had mentioned, it does not mean they have the wisdom or they carry the understanding to accurately divide what they have. So what Paul speaks about is all knowledge. All knowledge. And in the realm of all knowledge, the gifts are working. Yes, sir. The utterances are right. They're enriched in all ways. Yes, sir. But they are still babes because we don't have a place of understanding and wisdom. Yes, sir. So in your definition, in your your mind, it's possible actually for the gifts of God to thrive through an individual. Yes, sir. But yet they are not mature. They're still babes. Yes, sir. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Gozema. Actually, that's amazing because it's again the same thing with the Ephesians. He tells them that when I heard of your faith in the Lord, I was glad and I started to pray for you. And he says, and I prayed for you that you may be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In other words, they had a knowledge, but when he observed that church, he realized it lacked a certain degree of wisdom in the knowledge. So probably the gifts were functioning, the knowledge was there, the revelation was there, but there was a wanting of a certain oh. wisdom. And when I go to the book of Job, chapter 28, verse 28, the scriptures declare, God is speaking unto man, and the Bible says, unto man, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. In other words, how we reverence God, seeing from God's viewpoint, and responding according to the word of God as it is in truth, to me, that's perfect wisdom. And understanding is the ability to put together, dissect whatever you have to dissect, put it together to make a relevant application of knowledge according to truth. And it's possible for somebody to know the truth and they are wanting in the dissection of truth to know how to rightly apply the word as it befits the purpose of God and pleasing in his sight. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. Now, if you are writing, I want you to write this. If you want to define wisdom, I could define wisdom as the supreme intelligence of God that tends or defines judgments. See, it's the supreme intelligence that defines judgments. If you're talking about the realm of judging or judgments, you're talking about wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to judge issues the right way, to judge things accurately, especially if you're dealing with the things of God. If you're talking about divine wisdom, you're talking about the revelation of God's judgments. That is wisdom. And when we go to the place of understanding, place of understanding is a place of interpretation. That you can receive an instruction or a thing from God, but the ability to interpret it is another place in God. Not everything that is given or revealed to us actually is interpreted. Not many people are able to interpret the things of the Spirit. The Bible has become a challenge and has created quite a lot of division in the world because it's an encoded script. It's a mystery demystified through our relationship of the person of the Holy Spirit. For example, if you look at Song of Songs, let me give an example. Song of Songs is one of the hardest books to read. And it's also one of the hardest books to preach from, especially <laughs> when you're dealing with people in church and certain ages. Why? Because of how these words are written, how these words come out when they're expressed. But one time I was studying Song of Songs from that script. Again, let me help us understand. In the Hebrews, they don't have adjectives. So if you want to say, this is the greatest song, you cannot say this is the greatest song. You will say, this is the song of songs. See how they work? Or you cannot say this is the highest or greatest of the lords. They'll call him the Lord of lords. They'll call it the King of kings. You see? So when we call it the song of songs, that is the greatest revelation song. You see, scripture says that Solomon wrote about 1,005 something songs. You see? So it's important for us to understand that it's one of the greatest. You know, it has a depth. In fact, 
I was reading somewhere that when it comes to the Jewish rabbis, the book of Song of Songs is so holy that when the Jewish rabbis are reading it, they even take off their shoes. But when you get in that book, you will read things that your child will ask you questions you don't know how to answer them because they are talking about body parts, they are talking about certain expressions that are very confusing. You understand what I'm saying? But this is what God is telling us, that even in that which seems as direct in word as is, I have very hidden things in there. Now, it takes a place of understanding, the place of interpretation. That's the place of understanding. To interpret what I'm trying to tell you, So the realm of understanding has a place of interpretation. It has a place of discernment to help you discern and interpret the world that is not seen, the place of insight. All of that is a realm of what? So when we talk about understanding, that means we're talking about sound application for the realm of knowledge. If you do not have understanding, you will not have sound application for the realm of knowledge. And lastly, What is knowledge? Knowledge is simply information or facts that are gained because of education or experiences. Facts or information that are obtained over time from education or experiences. It's simply a realm of awareness. You are made aware of something. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, I want us to walk this journey together because I'm going to share something so deep for us, so deep for us. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, verses 3, that through wisdom, a house is built. A house is built. And by understanding, a house is established. And by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. See that? So which comes first? Wisdom. A house is builded by wisdom and understanding establishes it and by the knowledge that is given you are the chambers filled with all precious and pleasant riches. You cannot buy sofa sets, TVs in a building that has no roof, in a building that is not complete. You put a foundation, build a building, give it the pillars of understanding and then roof it. And then when you roof that building, then you bring in all the riches, all the televisions, all the beds, all the sofas, and etc. See, now, I want you to mark this. that The Bible says that ye are a house builded by God. That's what the Bible says. When God looks at you, you are the house of God. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you are in mystery. You are a house you are likened to a building. You are that temple in whom the spirit of God dwells. So if you are a building, it means you must be builded by wisdom. You must be established through understanding and knowledge should then bring the riches, all the precious riches that are supposed to come into this building that has been built. You see that? Meaning, that knowledge in these ranks is third. And we're going to have a deeper conversation on that. It's very important for you to understand that. That we begin with the wisdom of God in your spirit. And that is a place of judgment. That's why I said that 
when God reveals his judgments to you, you walk in the convictions of truth. And it's important to have the convictions of truth. I'm not saying what is right. I'm talking about what is true. Whatsoever things are true. That's what I'm talking about. It's important that somebody is firstly established in what is true. It's the judgments of the Spirit. And from the place of the judgments of the Spirit, then we have the glory and grace of interpretation because without that grace and glory of interpretation, all information of facts or truth given to us is meaningless. Somebody shout hallelujah. So it is the foundation of the judgments of God upon which we start establishing ourselves in the interpretations of God, upon which then knowledge brings the pleasant riches that are supposed to come with it. That information, the facts that are given to us as we are taught, as we are instructed, as we are educated, as we are getting through life experiences, as we are made aware of certain things that we did not know, progressive knowledge, gnosis, yeah? As we come to that, it is important for us to have those two foundations, wisdom and understanding. Now, the reason why, for example, somebody says, I read the Bible, but I don't understand it. The reason why somebody can say, you know, I don't understand the things of God. Or how do you read? How do you read the word? How come me when I'm reading the word, I don't understand it? It is because they were not instructed in the way of wisdom. They were not prepared in the realm of understanding. And so if they're not prepared in the realm of understanding and the way of wisdom, anything that comes as knowledge will come only as information, facts that will come into their head and will stay only in their mind enough for it to go without a place of contemplation, understanding, without a place of designing and interpreting whatever is said, without a place of aligning themselves to the judgment of whatever has been given to themselves. That means that you're still a babe. It doesn't matter how many scriptures you caught. It doesn't matter how many miracles happen in your life. It doesn't matter how many accuracies are on you as a prophet. You're still a babe. You're still a babe. And in the spirit realm, there are certain places you're not going to be able to command in spite of your abilities in the spirit. You see what I'm saying? So it's important for us to understand how we walk through this realm. Christ, the Bible says, has been made unto us wisdom. That's what the Bible says. He says, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. But right there, they don't say that he has been made unto us understanding. The Bible says he has been made unto us wisdom. Which is the principal thing. So Christ in you. If you are born again and you have Jesus in your spirit, the Bible says in him are hid all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, when you meet Christ, when you come in contact with him and come in a personal relationship with him and receive him as your Lord and Savior, you say, I am born again. One of the things you must believe is that you have the wisdom of God. There is power in believing it because there are people who for the first time have actually understood today that they have the wisdom of God in them. They have never believed it. And it cannot be activated unless you what? 
you believe it. You have to first believe it. Hallelujah. You must believe that the wisdom of God is in your spirit. You must confess that the wisdom of God is in your spirit. You must appreciate that the wisdom of God is in your spirit through the person of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now, if somebody is not born again, it doesn't matter how wise they are in the world, wisdom is not in them. If they don't have Jesus in their heart, they have what we call the wisdom of this world, which is brought to nothing. Remember, the fallen world is a realm of things that are constantly brought to nothing. It's a realm of corruption. Nothing lives forever. Even if you lived in the best mansion in the world and abandoned that mansion for five, ten years, trees will grow out of that mansion. Why? Because any place that is not humanly inhabitable can be consumed and taken over by the earth. And whatever has been built by the hand of man can actually return back to nature. Nature can reclaim it because everything we see is corruptible. Even the trees that we see are corruptible. They grow old too. You see what I'm saying? So we live in a realm of perpetual death. There's judgment in the earth and things die. Nothing leaves. That's why when you throw down your phone, it breaks. Clothes grow old. You know, everything that is in the physical realm has a place of its death and corruption because it is the realm of the fallen. Are we following? So you can live in that realm regardless of how much wisdom you have would equate to a man who has Jesus inside them. That is why the church was made to be the first and not the last. That is why the church was made to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. We have been set ahead. You have to believe that you are ahead. You are wiser than anybody who does not know Christ. It's a very, very proud statement to say, but where is our boasting saving faith? And how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. So it's important for us to appreciate and understand that you have received wisdom through the person of Jesus Christ. But in attempt to relate with him, in attempt to acquaint yourself with him, you see, it's the place of understanding. Because when you come into a love relationship with Jesus Christ, so for example, you have a friend and they become your personal friend, what happens? You start to understand them. You know them and understand them through that process. You know, the place of understanding is an invitation into a deliberate relationship with the person of the Father. Are we clear? It's very important for us to see that with the person of the Holy Spirit, with the person of Jesus Christ. When we come into that relationship with him, then whatever comes in the place of interpretation, it means that receive the instructions that are not seen or easily heard by those without that relationship. It's very important because two people can be communicating and one understands and another does not because of the relationship that they share with each other. That is the glory of interpretation. And then when that interpretation comes that you understand him, it means that when he speaks to you, when he gives you knowledge, when whatever comes, comes in the realm of knowledge, you have the grace of interpretation because your judgments are hemmed in his person. It's a very important thing. Now, let's go a bit deeper here. 
In Proverbs 16, 16, the Bible says, How much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? How much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? Again, he's telling us the order. And I'm still following this order because it's important later on to know exactly what to do and how to relate in these three realms, the realm of wisdom, the realm of understanding, and the realm of knowledge. So he has likened wisdom close to the highest, most expensive metal, gold, as per scripture, and likened silver to the second most expensive metal within the realm of scripture. And he speaks of that as understanding. And we start to see God define for us wisdom understanding, and knowledge in earthly metals. In Ezekiel 28 verses 4, he says, With thy wisdom and with thine understanding, thou hast gotten thee riches. Are you hearing me? And has gotten gold and silver into thy treasures. So that means, for example, if you dream and you dreamt that you were having a golden ring or you were buying gold or you had gold, in the spirit realm, it represents wisdom. You see? And if you dream about silver in the spirit realm, it means understanding. So in Ezekiel 28 verse 4, he says, With thy wisdom, which came first? Wisdom. And with thine understanding, thou hast gotten thee riches. Now, this is what the Bible calls rich. Because people have definitions of rich. Oh, that brother is rich. Oh, that sister is rich. What do you mean that that sister is rich? What do you mean that that brother is rich? This right here by scripture is wealth. This is how you tell a rich man. You tell a rich man by how much wisdom and understanding they have in their spirit not by how much money they have on their account. Especially Christians, you should know how to define rich. Oh, who is the richest man in the world? Bill Gates. You add in monetary terms. When it comes to the ways of God, he's not the richest man in the world. Jeff Bezos is not the richest. Elon Musk is not rich. We are richer. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, Wisdom first and understanding has come in secondary. And again, in the getting, gold for representing wisdom and silver for the understanding. But like I said once, I just mentioned it in passing and I said that when you look at scripture, the order is very clear of the metals. You have gold, you have silver, you have brass, you have iron, you have tin, you have lead. That's the order by the scripture. <laughs> and in understanding of that, Exodus 25 verses 3 says, and this is the offering which you shall take of them. This is the offering you shall take of them. It speaks of gold and silver and brass. Very important. Gold, silver, and brass. That's the order. So brass represents the realm of knowledge. So, when the Corinthians are enriched in all knowledge, 
that they come behind in no gifts so that the testimony of Christ is revealed and confirmed in them and they are only steadfast walking that journey waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 5. It should not shock you that when he gets into the third verse, he says, but I came to speak to you as men which are spiritual and mature, but I could not speak to you as spiritual and mature, but as non-spiritual, as carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Why? Because amidst you are still envies and bitterness and strifes and contentions and divisions. Are you not carnal and walk as men? What is he saying? He's saying, yes, they are in the realm of knowledge and brass has given them the miracles. Brass has given them the distinction of demonstration of power and they come short in no gifts. The gifts of God are demonstrated in them. But you lack judgment to walk in division. You lack the right interpretation of the heart of God to walk in strife and envy. And he says, this is so carnal. So I cannot speak to you as mature. So it's not enough for a man to have knowledge. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not enough for a man to have knowledge. That's what he's saying in Corinthians when he's praying for them, that the eyes of the understanding are flooded with light. He wants them to come to the revelation of the wisdom of God and his revelation in that knowledge. Don't just say, I know God. Don't move in the gifts of the knowledge of God and the glory that comes in the realm of knowledge, but add to that a place of wisdom and understanding and revelation. In fact, some versions say, spirit of wisdom and understanding in the knowledge of Christ. Because it's only when that the eyes of your understanding are flooded with light, one, that you'll know what is the hope of your calling. What are the glorious riches of inheritance of the saints? What is the exceeding greatness of power that worketh in you who believe? But it's interesting that in the realm of gifts and knowledge, it's easy to know the exceeding greatness of power because the gifts were operative even in the church of Corinth while they were still babes. So exceeding greatness of power is in the realm of knowledge. And what are the other two earlier? He says that you might know what is the hope of your calling uh-huh. And what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints? Some of which actually would imply that the hope of calling is in the realm of the wisdom that understands the judgments of God and the understanding of God is in the realm of the riches of his glory of the inheritance in the saints. And the exceeding greatness of power which is at work in us who believe. And some skip to that and say, power, power, power. I want to know how the lame walk, how the blind see. I want to do miracles. Because people think that the realm of miracles is our justification. The realm of miracles is not our justification. The realm of knowledge is not our justification. The realm of wisdom and understanding and knowledge are our justification. If you have knowledge alone without understanding and wisdom, you don't carry the place of justification. When he's talking about our place of stability, what does he begin with? And in your days, wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of your time. So if he says wisdom comes first, then it's obvious that understanding is within the middle there before we get to knowledge. It's the strength of our salvation, the stability of our times. And he speaks of the fear the Lord, which is the treasure, which he was speaking about, how the fear of the Lord then defines our place of wisdom and understanding. So we must see and appreciate that the realm of knowledge is third. The realm of knowledge is third. 
we have people who have not yet understood the differences. And it's important for us to be able to help you. And this is simple. If you have not understood the judgments of God, you're not walking in wisdom. If you have not gotten to the realm of interpreting, of designing, of having divine insight in the things of God, then you are not in the realm of understanding. No matter how much information and fact you quote and could actually work for you because you believe. It's very possible for somebody to function in a very high level and realm of knowledge, but very, very carnal place in wisdom and understanding. Very possible. His knowledge puffs up. It does, mm. but it's gnosko. Yeah. yeah, it's gnosko, mm. not epignosis, mm. the advanced, complete mm. knowledge in God. No, it's gnosis. Mm. Knowledge puffs up. Mm. Why does it puff up? Because it carries no judgments alone. Yes, it carries no interpretation of things alone. My wife this morning showed me a video. Somebody sent her a video. It was a little young man. And he was prophesying in the life of a lady. And then he calls her name. And why they called her that name when she was little. And then he said that when you go out of the country, your nickname is so and so. And the woman screamed and says, that is so. And the guy dropped the mic like rappers. And he walked out with bodyguards following him. And I looked at my wife, I'm like, what just happened? You see? And people are screaming. And I'm trying to understand here. I know the young man, I think. He's fathered as well by a prophet. But here's the pain. He has spoken someone's name. He has given details of their birth. He has given their nickname and dropped a mic and walked out. What is God saying? Oh, yeah. What's the message? Oh, because yeah. the prophetic mm. is the proclamation of divine oracle. Mm. Yes, sir. So, I even wonder whether, and I'm sorry if this is hard for some of you, people are functioning under the true spirit of the prophetic. I don't see that's a prophetic. That's a familiar spirit. That's not the spirit of God. He's not that dumb. You understand what I'm saying? So, the gifts as of to whether he accessed, and um, it's important for us to understand how did the Jews, you know, see? How did the Greeks see? I'll give you an example. Let's talk about the realm of the spirit. When you get into Greek thought, Greek thought will say that life was made of, or is made of two worlds. That's what Greek thought will tell you, that life is made of two worlds, the spiritual world and the physical world. And so they learn to embrace the physical and embrace the spiritual from the perspective of how life is given to human beings. The Jewish thought does not think about it that way. The Jewish thought is, we have a God that is personal, and we have related with him. And in relating with him, who is spirit? And follow this. Who is spirit? And has created us and has given us a physical form. It is obvious to us that the spirit and the physical realm exist. It is evident to us that the spiritual and the physical realm exist. 
from the perspective of the God who created them. So for them in understanding the spirit realm, they know that they just need to understand that God who created them, who is spirit but has created physical form. You see, so a man observing life from the spirit and physical realm is different from a man who sees the spirit and physical realm alike. The Jews look at the spiritual and physical alike. They don't differentiate them. They see they are the same. They don't draw so much distinction. They see that they are both obvious worlds and they are agreeable in many ways. They don't struggle to define one besides the other. It is so obvious for them because the joining factor is the person of God. So soon I want to help us understand how from Jewish thought, how Israel defined wisdom and how the wisdoms of Israel came through either from the oracles that were given by God, but also those other cultures and wisdoms that are scattered across the world and how some of the principles within some of those other wisdoms come through to define the wisdom of the Jew. Yeah, you have the Edomite wisdom. You have Mesopotamian wisdom. You have Egyptian wisdom. You have Canaanite wisdom. They're different wisdoms and they give us what we see. They help you know how days are calculated, how months are weighed, how years are defined, how seasons are designed, how times are given, how periods of time are defined. A prophetic eye, they help you understand, for example, how did the wise men in the time of Jesus know that when a star, particular star comes in the sky and it looks like that, it means that that is not an ordinary man which is born. How did they even know that when a man is born, a certain star represents them in the spirit? And when they look at a particular star, they know, no, this is not just a king, but he is a king of the Jews. This is not just a king. They could look at a star and know that this is a Jewish king. He's not a Syrian. He's not a Midianite. This is a Jewish king that is born. How would they read stars and know? Because there were elements of prophecy. You understand? There were elements of prophecy. So we go through scripture and start to realize that there were ancient wisdoms and collected together coming, sometimes helping us know how to live the world that we see such that we are efficient. We know, we know and can interpret life and understand life. And some of these things actually when you go into Jewish culture, they grow up knowing these things. Children grow up knowing some of the principles and some of the wisdoms. And these are things that they've collected together in some of their scripts. I've read a few of them, Eshet scripts. And all of this is there to help them understand that the sun just didn't go down this way. The moon just didn't move that way. The days of the earth don't just move that way. Like one time I gave a story of Jonah that when the wind starts to hit the boat, they know this kind of wind is not just normal. How did they know that somebody must have wronged a certain God? How did they know that somebody might or must have wronged a certain God, his God? And how did they know to cast lots? And how did they know that the gods or the particular God of the man who has rebelled will eventually work in that lot? And Jehovah God honored it. Jehovah God honored it. And the Bible says the lots fell on, on Jonah. You see what I'm saying? Yes. So there is a lot 
when it comes to understanding the judgments of God and how God works. There's a lot in understanding the order of the Spirit. And that's why I tell people that there is a difference in instructions. The instruction in the way of knowledge is different from the instruction of understanding and is different from the instruction of wisdom. But these are the things that make us ministers. These are the things that separate and consecrate. One of you share something. I'm really enjoying so much and my eyes are opening so much. Like, mm -hmm. Thank you, sir, revealing these things to us. But I wanted to say something Jesus mentioned about understanding. In Matthew 13, verse 19, the Bible says that when the word comes to certain men, if they don't understand it, the devil takes it away from them. So I start to realize that, and this is very amazing, man of God, because you say that understanding must be deliberate. And now the Bible tells us that when they don't understand the scriptures, the devil comes and steals it. And now you mentioned something a little scary when you interpreted the scripture, how the people's eyes, they have closed themselves, how their hearts are hardened. I'm, I'm starting to realize that the space of understanding is very key because the devil takes the word. Why he takes the word is because your eyes were closed. They were not closed by anybody, but you shut them out. So you must introduce us to a space of inviting understanding so that we retain what is taught because that's where conversion is. If we see, if we hear and understand, then conversion happens. And many people are not seeing conversion in their lives. They are not seeing the results they want to see. And the scriptures are saying that. So when knowledge comes, they say the preacher preaches, I don't understand. When I read the Bible, I don't get it. And now the Bible is revealing that when they don't understand, the devil steals the word because it's not understood. So in other words, understanding is an ability to retain knowledge for our conversion. And now men are not converted because knowledge is stolen. So, man of God, I also felt like we need an enlightenment to really know what's the heart that seeks understanding, what's the heart that yields to understanding, because we don't want that devil to take what is sown in the hearts of men. Yeah, uh, Papa, will also, there's a time you were preaching and you said something so profound. You said that a pastor can preach, then they get the word of faith, or maybe in their private or their secret places, they are believing God for a particular thing. And then somehow they wait for 20, 30, 40 years, and that thing does not come to materialize. Then Papa said, sometimes that happens because a man did not understand a way to interpret the instruction that came unto them. And because of that, that miracle that they want delays. Why does it delay? It delays because later is when now their eyes open of understanding. That's when now they remember, oh my God, and you're giving the analogy of Abraham and Sarah. Yes, Papa. Uh -huh. Now, let me read us a scripture, Proverbs 17, verses 3. I'm going to help us understand. The Bible says that the finding pot is for silver and the furnace for gold. But the Lord tries the hearts. You have asked how does a man's heart align itself um, to understand or interpret, discern, have the right inside of God? That's the realm of understanding. 
or walk in the wisdom of God, and that's the judgments of the Spirit. Because it's the state of the man's heart. He says, the Lord tries the hearts. In Jeremiah, the Bible says that I, the Lord, search the heart and try the reins, even to give to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. God searches our hearts and tries and tests our reins. And he gives to us according to our ways. Listen. No man or woman, especially who has a relationship with God, is where they are not supposed to be according to their dealing with God within their heart. There are ministers who are very anointed and gifted. But they will never go far. Because their hearts, their ways in God are corrupted. You see, you are where you are supposed to be. Not necessarily where you should be. Because God might want you to be somewhere, but you reject the way of God and turn a certain course that you're not supposed to turn and find yourself behind schedule or out of the will and purposes of God. It's called rebellion. He does not wrestle with man. That's not the way of God. But I have walked this life of salvation for so long because I got to know the Lord since I was eight years old. And I have had a great, great opportunity to get to know the hearts of men. Sometimes when I'm in prayer and I see how people think and sometimes the Lord opens my heart and shows me something or could help me get into a conversation. I've had experiences where I'm praying and God takes me in a conversation and makes me hear a conversation I'm not supposed to hear. Not in the sense that God didn't want me to hear it, but perhaps to those people, they did not want me to hear it because of the nature of that conversation. And you say, but God, why are you showing me this person doing this? Why are you showing me them saying this? He says, one, because I know you can handle it. But two, I want you to see and understand who people are. Some, if it's not a vision, you're going to dream it. If it's not a dream, a bird in the air will carry the matter and bring it to your table. And you're going to be, you know. But all men and women of God, you are where you are supposed to be according to your dealing with God. Not necessarily where you should be. But the Bible says it tries the hearts. Now, in Proverbs 17, verses 3 here, we are having a conversation about the trying of the heart. And you said that the finding pot is for silver, that when I'm trying the heart, when I am establishing the heart in the way and course it should go, there are processes of refining. There are furnaces that men are supposed to go through. Those are the refinings and consecrations of God. And he says that wisdom and understanding is a refining and consecrating element in our work of God. Wisdom is not just something you get such that people can say this person is wise. Some people don't understand the furnace that comes with that wisdom, with understanding those judgments. Some people don't understand the breaking and crushing in the refining, the melting in the refining, in the fining pot for that silver or for that place of understanding. Let me give you a typical example. You have an enemy. Somebody has done your own. And the place of truth says, 
Do good to those that have hurt you. Do good to your enemies. For if you do that, the Bible says, you shall heap coals of fire on their head. You see, this is God. He said, do good to them that hurt you. This is an instruction, simple instruction. The judgments of God in the realm of wisdom in you. If you should find that enemy, the Christ in you will be prompted to do something. Remember, the wisdom in you, the Christ in you will judge right. Should I greet this person or should I greet this person in spite of the fact that they have hurt me? You see what I'm saying? And the judgments in you tell you, I think I should greet them. That's wisdom. You get my point? The realm of interpretation now from the simple word of knowledge, if you give him to drink, or give him to eat, you see, that's the realm of knowledge. But the place that understands the power of that drink, the place that can interpret why you feed him, that's the place of understanding. And then, you don't greet them and walk out. But the scripture is in your spirit. That means that by God, you have shut your heart. You have refused. You have shut your ears. You have closed your eyes from what is true. Now, that portion of scripture, Romans 12, 20, at that point became something that God has entrusted you with as a steward. That portion of scripture has become to you a responsibility of stewardship for you to fulfill in your faithfulness toward God so he would trust you with more. But what is that more? That treating that person that way is the only reason why when I ask for members, God will give me even that mad person to come to the church and sit under my ministry because he knows that it is in me to raise a son who can abuse me and I can still love him. I have people in this ministry who have abused me and I still fed them. Because as a father, I have to. And they make me weak. No, that makes me a man of God. So to feed that which abuses you, I still feed them. I teach them the word. They lose their loved ones. We do whatever. And some of them even physically they abuse you to down tomorrow, you're sending them food to eat. Now, to the wise, if these calls of fire come, either they can become a place of repentance or they can still stay indifferent because they don't understand what was done to them. You remember when Elijah casts a mantle on Elisha, and Elisha says, I need to go and see my father and parents and what he says, you don't know what was done thee. Some people don't know what was done thee. But in the trying of my heart, there's a place in me that God has to qualify for the next place of stewardship and responsibility. Because to whom much is given, much is required. You see, I just gave a place of unforgiveness. There's somebody watching me. You have been dealing with unforgiveness for 20 years, 30 years of your life. And somebody hears this message and still goes back and acts in unforgiveness. 
That is shutting your eyes. That is hardening your heart. Christ is in there. He's convicting. He's convicting. Sometimes we deal with ministers. There's a minister, many years ago, I'll give you an example, many years ago, I was praying and in prayer, I was led in my spirit to give them a seed because of the office they hold in this country. I didn't agree with how they taught, but I agreed with the office and I wanted to honor the office of that minister. And so I sat down with some people within the church and said, let's send this fellow a seed. And that evening, one elder calls me and says, tune on radio and listen to this individual. So I tuned on radio, I was driving home. And this guy got a cheap tabloid that had written false things about us. They wrote a title, Sex Cult, about us. And this guy reads it on Christian radio and attacks and attacks and bashes us. And he has my number. He would actually reach me. Attacks and attacks and attacks. So I go back home and I'm broken. And I said to God, how can a man do this? But it was in me to give him a seed. And the Spirit of the Lord tells me, that seed is still his, but he will not accept it. Yet it's your hand to bless him. Some angry God, there are people who need it, there are people who are other. No, 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 it's still in your hand to bless. Hold him to it. Watch what I'll do in his life. So God dealt with him over the years. Many years. And I held on that seed. And after that, time comes later. And this man one day, on his own volition, calls me. Says, I want to meet you. He met me. And he wanted to make peace with me. And the Lord reminded me, you had a seed to give him years ago. Multiply that by 20. And I signed a check. And I gave him that money. You understand what I'm saying? And he comes out of my presence and goes to another meeting and attacks me again. And I get to here. And he gets to me. And the Lord told me, sign him another check. There are poor people, that poor need that money. Why are you doing it? God says, it's something I am teaching him, but it can only come from your obedience. I don't know what he's learning. <laughs> I don't know where that man is with his God. You see what I'm saying? I sign many checks for many ministries, but there's just this specific one. I don't know why I sign checks for. But it's in the judgments of the Spirit and the place of interpreting the heart of God and the purposes of God that my hand still blesses a man who speaks evil about me. I'm not foolish. That's the only way knowledge will bring the pleasant riches in my household. This is applicable in your dealings with people. This is applicable at your service in the church and when you're serving men and women of God. This is applicable in your career. This is applicable in your education. This is applicable in your ministry. 
This is applicable in all aspects of life. That is my furnace. That is my refining. And only God knows where this ends. There's a reason why after Saul wanted David's life, even when Saul is gone, David says, is there anyone in the household of Saul that I might do him good? And he has a son who is crippled in both feet. And David says that from today, he shall eat at the king's table all the days of his life. What qualified him to sit, Mephibosheth? What qualified him to sit on the table of David all his life? What qualified him when his father was the man who wanted to take the life of David? That furnace. That's the same man that Solomon, the son, testifies and says that I was beloved of my mother and as child of my father. And he taught me to seek what? Wisdom. When Solomon is testifying what his father taught him, he says, as my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. And verses 4, he says, he taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. And he told me, get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Get wisdom, get understanding. This is David talking to his own son. And David is a man after God's own heart. After God's own heart. These are the things that define maturity. Not speaking in tongues for three days. Not prophesying accurately. No. Not making a lame man walk and opening a blind eye. No. But that point where the Christ now comes with the wisdom. A tooth for a tooth, a nail for a nail. And he says, uh -uh. if he slaps one side, turn the other. Who does that? This is wisdom speaking. If he asks for a tonic, give him that second one too. He's trying to give us another way to live life because he sees within us that we're not alone now. He is in us, the hope of that glory. That when he sits in us, there is the hope of that manifestation of that glory. So it begins in the small instructions that we know to read and do in scripture. Or some of those things that in prayer God will tell us to do and we refuse, we stubbornly rebel and close our eyes from what we know to do right. What we know to do right. Somebody came to me one time and said, I met this sister and I said hello to her and she doesn't answer me. What do you advise? And I tell them, greet them until they answer you. Why? Because that's what wisdom would do. That's what wisdom would do. So, there are furnaces. There are refining fires. There are consecrations that take place in our hearts. But these are because God wants to trust us. There are people in my ministry who have come in my ministry and I know I'm the only one who could have managed them where they are. You get my point? I have never sent a man out of ministry for their weakness. But I can release a man for refusing to be helped because it's not in my way to help them. I don't have the opportunity to help them. But if I can, I will fight for them. I will fight for them because Jesus would do it. You see what I'm saying? So with wisdom, a house is built. With understanding, it's established. 
and knowledge brings those riches. When you understand how the judgments of God, I just give an examples. There are many other aspects of life. When you're offended, what do you do? When you're cheated, what do you do? When you're given the opportunity to cheat, what do you do? All of those are questions. When they are not watching, what do you do? All of these are questions that define whether you understand the judgments of God and are walking in the wisdom of God or you are not. Somebody just raise your voice and just speak to God. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. For the entrance of your word brings light and giveth understanding to them which are simple. You have given us your word and we receive it in the mighty name of Jesus. We receive your judgments. We receive your interpretation, your discernment and insights. We receive your knowledge. Change us. Deal with us. Break us. Bend us. Do whatever you have to do in our lives that we will serve you and serve you only. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed and believed and all sent said, Amen. I pray for those of you who are sick. Be healed right now in the name of Jesus. Be free or whatever demon is frustrating you are commanded to live in the name of Jesus. You're healed. Those of you who have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, say, Lord Jesus, I thank you. Because you died for my sins and was raised for my glory, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.